Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is dedicated to loving memory of Nathan Marcus Alava Shalom. Lilui Nishmat, Natan Ben Rachel Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Marcus family. Rabotai, our parasha describes what happens in the end of Yaakov's life. Vayichi Yaakov be'eretz Yisraim, Shva Esre Shana, Vayichi Yimei Yaakov, Shnei Hayav, Sheva Shanim Va'abayim, Ume'at Shana. He lives 147 years. Now he sees that everything is, uh, that he's about to go, and he starts to prepare, he makes his final preparations before he passes away. What does he do in his final preparations? Number one, he calls in Yosef, he gives him certain commandments, he asks him, he prepares him to, uh, what's it called, to, uh, to uh, acquire for him a place and a way of burying him in Eretz Israel. He knows that that's the son that can get the job done. He's the one that's in power in Egypt. So he asks him to bury him in Eretz Israel. He asks him to bring his sons, and he gives him a beracha for each one, each one of his sons. But Rabotai, then after Yaakov has squared away what he needs for, for his final resting place, he then invites all of his children to come around the bed, and, uh, and he's, going to give them, he's going to give them, each one of them, uh, a final beracha. Now, you know, there's a funny thing I always point out about this. When we talk about giving berachot to the children, it's a very funny idea, this, this concept. Here you have Yaakov giving this beracha. When is he giving the beracha? Right as he dies. Okay? And the, uh, the question is, uh, is this something that should be, a person should wait for until they're about to pass away? <coughs> With Yitzhak Avinu, we also find the same idea. He's getting old. He says, okay, now he needs to pass on the Berachot. Um, before I die, I want to give the Berachah. He gives the Berachah. What is this idea of blessing the children before someone dies, before they pass away? And how does that differ from during the time while they're alive? You know, there's the famous joke goes about this wife who says to her husband, she says, you know, honey, you never tell me you love me. He says, what do you mean? I tell you under the chupa, I love you. If something changes, I let you know, right? <laughs> the, the famous joke about the idea, you know, I tell you once when I got married, chalas, after that, that you know, it's a, it has no expiration date on it. It's good forever, right? Uh, but the truth is, people actually are not like that. And, I, and that's really what I wanted to speak about today. The idea of the fact that although there may be some sort of great beracha, you know, will and testament that you're bequeathing to your children before you pass, you're teaching them some great words of wisdom, this is not something that a person can leave for the end of their life. It needs to be an ever-present thing in their life that they are blessing their children. Every Friday night, when a person gives a berachah to their kids, they should spend a little one sentence where you say something to each one of the children, where you're giving them a berachah about something that's going on in their life, or you're telling them how proud you are about the way that they are. What's interesting to note about the berachot of Yaakov is that some of them are, are so to speak, uh, blessings, but others of them are not at all blessings. And yet, the Torah says that Torah calls all of these birachot, it calls them blessings. What do I mean specifically? Uh, when, he, when, yeah, when he begins the birachot, he says, Shivon velevi achim Hamas The vessels, the tools of Hamas, of what's it called, of uh, uh, taking something by force from somebody. You know, these are mechirotem, these are what they use. Besodam al tavon afshi, I don't want to be included in their, in their secrets, in their, in their essence. Bekehalam al tachet kibodi, ki be'apam harguish. He literally in the next pasuk says, arur apam kiaz. He curses their anger. So here he calls everyone in for a beracha. It's the old bait and switch. 
And then what, he curses his two children? Arur apam kiaz. The answer is, he doesn't curse them, he curses their anger. Arur apam, cursed be their anger kiaz. But even still, you call your child for beracha, and you imagine, imagine a kid has arrogance. You bring the kid in, say, come for a beracha. The kid comes, you say, curse your arrogance. Come on. That's the beracha. And G, right? So what is he doing? Now, one could think, okay, maybe it's not a beracha. But the Torah says, this is the beracha that Yaakov gave to all of his children. So one answer is, okay, fine, he's cursing. He's taking, a person has, sometimes you increase their positive character traits. And sometimes you can decrease the person's negative. In both cases, you wind up with a beracha. But still, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit well with us. So I want to really um, shift the conversation a little bit. The word beracha, although we normally associate it with the idea of giving someone a blessing. Oh, you should get very rich. You should find a nice wife. You should, uh, what's it called? You should, uh, you know, find a nice chavruta. You should get accepted into the yeshiva that you want or the, or the university you need to go to. You should have many happy and healthy children. That's how we relate to the idea of beracha. May you dot, dot, dot. But actually, when we find the word beracha in the words of our, of our sages, the word beracha doesn't actually only refer to a blessing. And uh, let me show you and illust- illustrate and prove it to you from words of the Gemara. The Gemara says... Um, one time, Pamachat Nichnasti, Laktir Ketoret, Lefnai Vilifnim. Rabbi Yishmael Kohen Gadol is entering into the Kodesh HaKodashim to bring the Ketoret. And suddenly God speaks to him with a Nivuah. And God says to him, Barakheni, bless me. God asked Yishmael Kohen Gadol to give him Beracha. What does that mean? How could, how could God ask for a blessing? Is that even possible? Could we bless God? Using which power? How could we bless Hashem? Now, I know some of you think that sounds crazy. You make brachot all day long. Yeah, that's not brachot for Hashem. That's brachot to Hashem. We're saying, thank you, God. Blessed are you for this. Could you bless God with something? Well, let's look at Rabbi Ishmael Kohen Gadol's answer. What does he answer Hashem? What does he say? He says, may it be your will, may it be your will, God, that your mercy should vanquish, should overcome your anger, your, uh, your sense of justice and judgment in this world. This is the biracha that Rabbi Ishmael is giving God himself. Now, I need you to hear this. is very important. That means that the word beracha doesn't necessarily mean something that you wish for somebody. It could also mean a positive or a helpful description of the person's essence or nature. You see, what was Rabbi Ishmael doing in the Kohen Gadol, in the uh, Kodesh HaKodashim? When does the Kohen Gadol go in the Kodesh HaKodashim? Only on Yom Kippur. So when he goes into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, to bring the Ketoret, and his God says to him, Barakheni, bless me, what does Rabbi Ishmael say? It should be your will. That is the day of Yom Kippur. That is what is happening on this day. A day where God's mercy literally supersedes 
kicks out God's attribute of justice and takes over. Okay? So the biracha in that moment is Rabbi Ishmael praising God by describing him. I would go so far as to say the greatest biracha that a person can have in his life is to be act to be to authentically and accurately know and understand him or herself. The greatest biracha, one more time, is to be able to authentically and accurately understand themselves. So Shimon and Levi walk into their father, and Shimon and Levi have a serious problem. And their father says to them, I need you to understand. This is the situation. This is what you've done. This is where you are. There's wonderful things about you. But this is something you need to address. Could you imagine if instead of identifying his child's biggest flaw in this final moment, before he dies, Yaakov panders to them. Yaakov just doesn't want to make them upset. And he says, oh no, you guys are go. You guys are abus rohak. You know, you know, you're so cute, you're so special, you're so wonderful. Is the father doing them a service or a disservice? In this moment, right before he passes away, there's no more time. When else is he going to say this to them? When else is he going to communicate to them? I love you, but this is a, a part of you that needs to change. In the end, what does he say? Arur apam ki az, ki kashata, and your anger because it is, it is harsh. What does Yaakov do in order to deal with this problem? He divides Shimon and Levi amongst all the Jewish people. One, sorry? Shimon and Levi, the two of them. What does he do? He divides them. What does it mean he divides them? Shimon and Levi don't have their own space. They're divided, they're spread out amongst all of the Jewish people. Levi, because of their jobs in the Beit HaMikdash, and in Mishkan, but Shimon also, they became They became the teachers of children. You ever had yourself a rabbi that got very angry very quickly in school? <laughs> Maybe this is why. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> that was his own midot issues. He needs to work out. The point is that in why order... Why wouldn't Yaakov do that? I'm going to wrap back around in one second. Okay, so now listen to this. What is Yaakov doing with this? In order for anger, for chaos, for uh, this, what's it called? This uh, nature of Shimon and Levi, the only way Shimon could attack Shechem is if it was Shimon and Levi. The only way Levi could attack Shechem is if it was Levi with Shimon. The one thing Machloket needs, fights, anger needs in order to grow is it needs critical mass. It needs to build as a mob more and more people getting angry about something and then you could have catastrophic results. Dividing that up, giving everyone space to breathe. And it's one of the um, unfortunate natures of every fight that I see that lasts a long time. Most fights that last a long time are because other people got involved. So now, even if I'm ready to back down, the other person isn't. They're not willing to forgive, or they still hate. You know, I always tell this to people as well in their marriage. I mentioned it before. You know, you have a fight in your house. Don't drag your mother-in-law, or your father. Don't no, you're not going to drag anybody into this. In fact, what is the yeah, Rabbi Mizrahi talked about this yesterday. 
that one of the things that Yosef did when he sent everybody out of the room, he sent out not only the Egyptians, but he sent out even his son Menashe. Why does his kid need to be dragged into this fight between the brothers? He needs to think that way about his uncles. It's not, why is, it, why is that relevant? So Yaakov, he already trusted, not only just mentions it as some sort of criticism, but he mentions it in the, in the guise and through the frame of mind of solving the problem. So Mark just asked, so why does he need to wait till the end of his life to do that? The first reason is what we just said. In order for it to be constructive, in order not to just, just tell them that they, did, that they did bad things, Yaakov needs to be able to fix it. But the fixing actually doesn't happen here. It happens later. It happens when they got into Eretz Israel and they all divided. So Yaakov does that in a time where he dies, where he's talking about the Yerusha, the inheritance about Eretz Israel, about how things are going to go later. So number one, he wants to make it constructive. But actually, we find this idea by Moshe Rabenu. Moshe says, before I pass away, I want to give tochacha. Why do you give rebuke before a person dies? Number one, it's because most often when people get rebuked, the first thing they think is, that you have an ulterior motive in giving me rebuke. You're going to gain something from telling me not to do this or not to go here, not to do that, right? Or you can't stand the fact that I'm more successful than you. People, they have all these different agendas that they imagine when people, they get very defensive. When someone's about to pass away, you don't get defensive. Had that, it's like, <gasps> he's trying to get the sentence out. You don't start arguing with the guy. You let him say his piece, right? You actually... Hazi, the guy, he's barely going to make it, right? Let him finish the sentence. So number one, uh, it allows for a person to understand that, look, he can't have an agenda. How does dying in three minutes? You know what I mean? It's not, it's not going to be about It's not going to be about him. It's only about, it's only about, it's only for you. Number two as well is it's also true about the person themselves. You know, one of the things uh, we always tell people is, is a famous phrase. It says, you know, speak to people and, you know, talk to them but talk to them as if it was going to be the last words you'd ever say to them, right? Would you want the last words you say to your child, to your mother, to your father to be, I hate you, I'm upset at you, how could you do that, you let me down? So if you speak to them the way, right, not only is it true for their agenda, but also the person himself who's giving the criticism thinks to themselves 10 times how to say it right. You know why? They're never going to get a chance to say it again. The way he's going to word it in those final moments is going to be very economical. It's going to be very constructive. It's going to be very specific. So that's why to give tochacha, it's important to do before a person passes away. But to give berachot, a person should give berachot all the time. You don't know the power that you have with your positive words. We've now described the word berachah to mean a positive uh, indication, a positive description of a person's essence. You know, I say this all the time to my children. My kids will say, Abba, love you. And I'll say to them, why? Why do you love me? We have these words that we use, and a lot of times, as human beings, we hide behind our words. I love you. Why do you love What do you mean? What do you mean? The definition of why you love me is the texture, is the nature of what that love is. So as an example, if you love the loyalty that someone has, you might have a wife might be so dedicated to taking care of you, so you know, loyal, she always takes your side, she's always standing with you, supporting you in everything that you do, that might be why you love your wife. So when you say, I love you, what do you mean? I love the way you are. I love your, the nature, uh, the special things about you that make you very dear to me. But most often, people actually, they don't take the time. I ask people, 
um, sometimes before they get married, I ask the couples why they love each other, why they're getting married. A lot of times, the couple can't tell me. I mean, I don't tell them that. <laughs> I let them figure that out for themselves, right? I don't tell them that, but I ask them, what made you, why you love this person? They're like, oh, I don't know, no, no, no. Makes me feel good, you know, so nice. I was like, so, that sounds pretty generic. You understand if you're going to choose one person, why them and not over everybody else? Why, what's the, you know, to, to mine for that is so important to teach people what it is that about themselves that you love. It just t- takes the person, it brings their midot, their character traits out and tells them what's special about them. And when people know that that's what people love about them and that's what people value in them, then they, then they wind up developing, they become their own beracha. I need you to hear the difference. In one scenario, you're giving them a beracha. In the other scenario, you're helping them to become their own beracha. When you describe to someone the way you study your mind, the way you pay attention to people and the sensitivity that you have for their needs. You tell someone, you know, I love the fact that you, you care, you're a mother that cares for children, the way no, no mother I've ever seen cares, the way you prepare the food, the way she, this, some mothers, they make six dinners each night. Each one of the kids wants something else. Each family member wants something else. If that's a healthy thing or not, I don't know. I don't think so. But the point is, the, the love and the dedication that they have, they make themselves a shmata. You know what I used to say? The, la- the, word, the letters to the word mishpacha. The word mishpacha. What does that mean, mishpacha? Mishpacha means family. You know how per- some, some people create mishpacha? Mishifcha from becoming a slave to the family, from being a maidservant. Sometimes you have families, that mothers that make their family, how do they do it? By being everybody's maidservant, by doing everything for everybody, and then they don't actually have any time for themselves. That's why I said I'm not so sure it's healthy, because for many people, they don't have within themselves to give on this level for such a consist- in such a consistent way for years on end. A lot of times they'll wake up 10 years into the marriage saying, well, I never, you know, no, nobody's there. Where's, where am I in all of this? Where am, what about me? What about my dream? I'm not saying she was selfish. I'm saying if she would take care of herself a little bit more all through the years, you wouldn't get to a situation where it's so critical that the person is fighting back, feeling like a maidservant. The same thing with the husband. You know, how many husbands here are told by their wives that they provide for the family, they work very hard. I appreciate how hard you work. Guy comes home late, what happens? His wife yells at him. What should his wife do if he came home late from the office? She should really thank him. I'm not saying if she's waiting for three hours to go out, you know, because you agreed you were going to go at a certain time. But I'm saying, you understand the difference, that, that it's so important to be able to communicate the special things about that person. And that's what Yaakov Avinu was doing. And here's the, here's the kicker. When Yaakov, he, he curses their anger, apur arur apam kiaz, and he talks about Evratam. He says, Ki kashata. He doesn't say, I don't wish there was no anger. I, I, I mentioned before, show me a person who never gets angry, and I will show you a person who cares about nothing. You can't not get angry. You have to get angry about certain things. If God forbid, you, you, if someone you know, starts up with your family, you're not going to get angry, you don't love your family. If someone starts up with your religion and doesn't make you angry, if you see anti-Semitic attacks and you just say, yeah, that's the way it is, you're callous 
uncaring person. You don't love your people. You don't love human beings. Okay? So he doesn't curse the anger that it should disappear. He says, It's, it's too harsh. It's unmitigated. It, it gets allowed to snowball. But ultimately, that anger il- illustrates there was a passion in Shimon and Levi. And if you remember, I always have it ringing in my ears, the, the, the line that they say. What is Yaakov? He's talking about the story of Shechem. What do the brothers say when Yaakov says, how did you get me in this situation? Now I'm at war with all the people in the area. What do they say? They say, Should our, our, our sister be raped? Should she be made to be a prostitute and we shouldn't respond? This is where it came from. It came from this. So Rabotai, finding positive things in your spouse and your children to constantly be reinforcing. But the difficulty is in this. How do you find that positive thing within something negative? Within something that's driving you crazy? I don't know if he's listening today, but a guy came up to me and he told me, I don't know what to do with my son. He's so stubborn. He's so stubborn. He doesn't give in on anything. He's so difficult. So I said, I want to tell you two things. Number one, this is the child that makes you a parent. All the other kids, you were babysitting. You had great kids, Hazak Baruch. You were babysitting. You didn't really, right? It's the kids that are the most difficult where we're forced to parent, not to observe and get nachat. That's called grandparenting, right? Many parents become grandparents before they become parents. You get that kid that comes along, they straighten you out, they make you suffer. But the, the parenting moments are so beautiful when the person actually goes through that and they realize how to deal with it. So I said, number one, I want to tell you that. But I said, but number two, I said, you know what the problem with the kid is? He says, well, I said, the problem is that you call him stubborn. Stop calling him stubborn in your own head. Stop relating to him as being stubborn in your own head. And just flip it. Every stubborn child is a kid who has inside of him the power of being consistent to something. It's incredibly annoying that they're being persistent and consistent about the things that we don't want them to do. But don't blow out that fire. Just direct it. Come to the kid. Stop calling him stubborn out loud or quietly. And start thinking about the kid, how committed he is. Come to the kid and say, you know, out of all of the children, you're the most committed kid. If you want something, you're going to get it. Don't go to the negative place. If you want it, you're going to get it. So I thought, what if I signed you up for this thing? None of the other kids would have the staying power to do this, but I would like you to go to do Dafyomi. I would like you to go to take, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Krav Maga. Because I know you'll stick to the class, you'll do it. By the way, on the side, what happens when they go to martial arts and Krav Maga? They learn actually restraint. I always was nervous. You have a kid, you're getting into fights, you send them to martial arts, how is it going to kill everybody? Right? But actually, it doesn't work that way. They teach them not to need to use force, to remain, to remain calm. So Rabotai, the challenge is to be able to be, to be mevarech, to find something positive, to turn it around, and to say to them, the anger is intense. Don't lose it. Channel it. And when a person does that, Be'ezat Hashem, they help their children and the ones around them grow to be the maximum people that they can be. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, amen. Rabbi Chananyan.